Welcome to Cafecito, a podcast dedicated to fostering connection and empowerment within the Hispanic and Latin American community. So we'll keep 10 minutes at the end for anyone if they want to ask questions. Thank you for joining us today, Michael. Pleasure. As one of the few Hispanic MDs in the US, we're excited to hear your story. Thank you for having me. Yeah, so you have had a very successful career starting in the Air Force, transitioning into the Department of State, and then into consulting. And you tell us a bit about you and your career before consulting. Certainly. So I'll start with, I grew up like most of you in a bilingual home. Yeah, so I grew up speaking Spanish and English at the same time. I come from parents that are Dominican and Spanish, born and raised in the US. What I find interesting is that I have two little boys, a six and a four-year-old, and we're teaching them how to speak both English and Spanish right now. So I'm, I'm seeing a little bit of what my experience may have been as a kid at home every day in, in their struggle with being able to perfect both English and Spanish at a young age. I, uh, thank you. I am a somewhat of a non-traditional hire at AM. I am a lawyer by training and I started my career as a federal prosecutor for the Department of Justice. I then made a tra career transition to go into the Air Force. I thought at one point that I may consider a career in politics. And I thought that having that experience on active duty would have been helpful. I never pursued a career in politics uh, for hopefully what are obvious reasons with how toxic politics can be. After the Air Force, I had an opportunity to go back home to New York and work at a large law firm, international law firm. My last duty station at the Air Force was in a war zone. I was in, in Afghanistan and leaving the battlefield and then sitting in Midtown Manhattan in a suit and tie got a little old for me after four and a half years. Then I was fortunate enough to have some colleagues that I'd worked with in the military who were then at the State Department. And they asked me to consider becoming a diplomat and helping them with a number of things that they needed, that they wanted done. So I left my law firm and I went to the State Department and lo and behold, they sent me as my first assignment back to the Middle East and specifically, specifically to our embassy in Baghdad. So I spent several years at our embassy in Baghdad then after being there, I came back to the headquarters in Washington, D.C., and my portfolio transitioned from a focus on counterterrorism in the Middle East to a focus on counter-narcotics in Latin America. So I had a portfolio that extended from Mexico all the way down to Argentina, including Central America and the Caribbean. I spent a lot of time on the ground in, in Mexico, Colombia, Peru, in El Salvador, in Guatemala. And it gave me a perspective where I was able to take some of those learnings from being a prosecutor, some of those learnings from being a military officer and a diplomat, and bring those together to sh start shaping who I was gonna become 
later as a, as a consultant. So I left government service. I went to PwC, spent time building out an international practice and I've been at AM since September of 2019. So I just wanted to give you a little framing of, of, of my own background. And what I can say is that, you know, I think all of us have had an element of this in our careers, but I've always been able to, uh, to deliver good work. And that good work has created additional opportunities. And because of where I was, where I've been previously in my personal life, I had a lot of flexibility to react to those opportunities and say, let me go and try this new thing, even if it brought me to, you know, all the way from Japan to, to uh, southern Brazil. So having that ability to, to be flexible and to continue seeking opportunities to grow professionally has propelled uh, my career. And I, brought, and I brought that with me, of course, Diana. Wonderful. And looking back into your career, things have worked out really well, as we all know. But were there moments when the path forward wasn't as clear or where, when making those decisions was difficult? And how did you navigate those situations? Sure, there have been many of, many of those challenges that, again, we all, we all experienced one way or another. At one point, I was overseas uh, in a really interesting assignment. And my mother back in New York, uh, her health, she wasn't doing well. So it's difficult to be overseas, to want to be close to home. So that, that created some challenges that made me reevaluate whether or not it was the right thing for me to be so, so far away from home. I found myself uh, in other situations in, for example, in Guatemala, where we were doing some things in support of, of the government. And uh, we put ourselves in, in, in some difficult security environments. And I had to weigh whether or not it was worth it to be in a position that was you know, going literally face to face with, with cartels, both Guatemalan cartels and, and Mexican cartels. And then, you know, I think that one, one of, it's not always there's a negative thing that's happening that makes you reevaluate. There are some really good things as well. So at my, when I was at PwC, I was on a path to become a partner. I had a great portfolio and a great team, but I was, I had PwC at the time had a, what I call a ticket system to become a partner where you had to wait your turn irrespective of your performance. And what I had an opportunity to leave PwC and go to another firm and join the partnership, it's hard to say no. So I took that opportunity and I went and became a partner which enabled me to come as a lateral MD into ANM. Makes sense. Yeah, and most of your career has been focused on the public sector. You mentioned that you wanted maybe to go into politics and change of mind, but you are still in the public sector practice within ANM. What motivates you to be in public sector? Look, I, I think that everybody has a certain calling and a certain thing that motivates you. And for me, you know, public service has always been very important. But in addition to the public service, I, I don't see, I see the work that we do supporting our government clients as basically just another corporate, just a, corpor a corporate that looks slightly differently. But the services that we offer to our government clients are pretty much mirror services to what we offer 
let's say, on our, to our corporate clients, be it in CPI or whatever business unit you sit in. And the way in which I personally, but public sector has been very successful is by going to market, building multidisciplinary cross BU teams, kind of what, what Sergio is looking to do to support opportunities in Mexico. How do we bring the best of what we offer to be able to have a more compelling perspective that differentiates us from what from what other consultants our, our clients are buying. So it's it's really no different, but it but having an anchor as to being able to deliver support to stakeholders, to citizens that helps their lives, I think that that's a pretty good motivator. Awesome. And you have been with AM for less than four years and have already sold some of the large or largest projects in CPI during this period. What helped you keep the ground running when you joined AM? Yeah, I think it's several things. First, I was a little older. So uh, with more experience in the background, you've encountered different challenges and successes that have helped that help shape you as to who you are. But I think that in addition to the, my own experiences, it's the platform that that AM provides to all of us being able to be uh, entrepreneurial, to be very creative. I mean, when I arrived, as I mentioned at the beginning of, excuse me, prior to the beginning of the pandemic, so in September of 2019, and though later in the year, we knew that the pandemic was becoming a global event, at the beginning of 2020, I had some ideas of how we could position some work in Mexico, and that's how I met Sergio, and then we went, we met, we had a couple of meetings and ultimately they didn't bear the fruit that we expected, but having that flexibility to think about how do we go to market? How do we grow as a firm? How do we provide new opportunities for people has been part of the success, but every team that I've, that I've assembled to deliver work at clients has been teams from other parts of the firm as well, bringing big A&M. And I think that when you do that, you create a bigger pie for everybody and you have more opportunity. Right, and we have talked about this a few times, but for the younger audience on this call, which skills would you um, think are important for us to be successful in this eventually? Yeah, um, I, I would say several things. At times I wonder whether we think hard enough about the importance of building personal bonds, personal relationships, building trust as early as possible with our clients. And I think that all of us on, on this call have a unique opportunity to, to do that effectively because we are people who exist in several cultures. So we understand that when we are operating in, let me call it an American culture, we operate a certain way, but when we're back in, in our cultures, wherever you know each of us comes from, we can operate very, very differently as needed. So having that ability to adapt to the environment, I think is very important. So I would say, when you think about your own background and your family's background, relying on the things that you learned growing up and what you've seen at home and that ability to have that flexibility to weave in and out of environment, I think that that should always be top of mind. And the way that manifests is for you to be comfortable that you have a strong voice here at AM. And if you need to do some coaching of your project leadership, 
that you do that. So first is own your culture, own the diversity that we bring and our ability to exist in different environments. I think that that's key. Then we have to have the core consulting skills. And one of the things, Patricia, that you and I have spoken of recently is what are some things other than the specific skill set that you are continuing to develop or that you have sharpened, be at an AM or somewhere else? What are some other uh, criteria for success that you should consider? And, and happy to hear from, from Sergio or others who might be on this call, but one of the things that I look for is the curiosity or the interest of my teammates and how our business actually runs. So one thing is to be focused on a deliverable, to think about you know, delivering that, that um, gold standard that we expect, that's a given and we have to always do that. But are you curious, uh, are you working with your PM or your MD on how your pricing is built? Are you thinking about what are the different leverage models that we need to create so your MD or your SD has more time to be market facing? How are you providing coaching to other members of your team? Are you creating the right environment where people can have those very open conversations to say, hey, I don't think that what we're doing is going the right way and we may need to do a, a course correction. So that is often a tone that is set at the top, but it doesn't mean that it cannot be set by other people. Um, so think about yourself, the whole self that you bring to the project. Think about the economics. How does our business run? And then of course you have to be a specialist, a technician. You have to master the particular area in which we have you working. So if you have an analyst or a consultant asking about the economics of the project, that's that's something you will be open about sharing and all the time. And I've had uh, several, because I, I, I coach several people within public sector and other parts of the firm, and I'm a performance manager for several others. And those are things that I set at the beginning of every engagement, especially since going back to what I mentioned earlier, because I've been very fortunate to sell some big deals and deliver some, some big projects at, at, at AM. I've had the need, of course, to scale very quickly. And scale comes from bringing big AM. So I have been, for example, I was on a, on a project last fall uh, with New York City. And the team that I built, I added four people. I added, I had an, an SD, I had a manager. I had a consultant and an analyst, and then I had some other folks from other business units. None of us had ever worked together. And I purposely built a team that had different specialties or disciplines. So I had somebody from supply chain, somebody from corporate transformation services, et cetera. So when you come in and you have people who've never worked with you, don't really know who you are or how you behave on a project, it's good to set the tone. And I wanted to provide, and I, I, I trust that I did, I wanted to provide the right dynamics for a team so we could be fully operational and performing at a high level very quickly. And one of those things was to make an investment that, that they could see an investment from me in not just the single project, but how we could work together to, for them to continue to develop their own skill sets. And for me, that included talking about how do we structure the team? How do we do the pricing? How do we plan seeds with the client early on so we can try to expand the work? Yeah, and we talked about another that talks about about your interest in self-improvement and sharpening your skills. 
like coming back from a bilingual or um, growing up in the US without speaking Spanish as a first language and then working in Guatemala and Mexico with people that speak Spanish. I don't know if you can share about what you did to be able to present and communicate in Spanish. Sure. So uh, I want to tie a couple of things together. The So I grew up, as I mentioned in the beginning, bilingual. My parents wanted to make sure that we didn't just learn Spanish in the streets of New York, but that we learned it properly. So we spent our time during the summers from the time I was three to the time I was 14, going to summer school to learn Spanish. So we grew up fairly fluent, but there's a difference between speaking proper Spanish at a native level and being able to speak proper Spanish at a technical level. So as I mentioned, I'm, a, I'm an attorney. At the time that I was working in Latin America, I was meeting with the senior levels of government. I, I was meeting with attorneys general and ministers of defense at time with the presidency. And they, the expectation was, well, we're lawyers and you're a lawyer, so we can have the same conversation, except that Latin America is, uh, operates in a different legal system than we do in the US. So our system is closer to the British system and in Latin America, it's the Napoleonic Code or civil law. Well, that's not where I grew up. So I didn't have, even in a different language, I, didn't ha I wasn't as familiar with the technical uh, language of speak uh, that you, uh, spoken in law in Latin America. So I had to go and read books and I had to understand, I had to almost script in advance what I wanted to communicate, but do it in a way that I had to use language that they could understand. But there are times when, of course, you can't apply, you can't prepare for everything that comes up during a live meeting with, with a prospect or an existing client. So one thing that I found effective at times was uh, to be very self-deprecating. And I would purposely at times use the wrong word to trigger some laughter and some levity in the room and they would look at me and say, ah, el gringo, right? And that created a different dynamic where they're like, okay, this guy is, he's serious, he's a professional, but he doesn't take himself all that serious. So he's one of us type of thing. So that worked out a, a, a number of, of times. And there were times when I flat out said, excuse me, but I need to switch to English. And they said, yeah, that's perfectly fine. And they would allow me to do that. So it was um, a lot of hard work, a lot of preparation, a lot of being being ready and able to to deliver a good meeting, but never taking for granted. I know my subject matter, so I can go in cold and deliver. It was a lot of preparation, which I would encourage all of us to do, even when you know speaking in, in whatever language you're most comfortable with. Yeah, and I speak to Michael in Spanish many times, and I grew up in Mexico, and I feel that you speak better professionally and in a in the professional environment and way than I do. So kudos to that. Yeah. You're very kind. I wouldn't agree with that, but you're very kind. Yeah. Then in, in terms of networking and creating um, that, that client um, base where you can go out and sell work, do you have any advice to, towards younger people in the call? No, for sure. And this advice is for, for anyone. You know, we are, as a, hopefully you've experienced at AM, no matter how long you've been with us, that we are many things, but as a business at our core, we are built on relationships. And, and again, I've been in some other places, some firms that are larger than AM, and 
I didn't have, or those businesses didn't have the focus on relationships that we have here. And what does that mean? It means that no matter what level you are, if you're an analyst or an MD, you have a network of peers. Either it is your own network through school or previous job, or you have access to a network through your, your parents or relatives or other friends. So I spend an extraordinary amount of time thinking about my network and my extended network through my network. And you know, a piece of advice that I've received very early on at AM was treat the network of your network as your own. And don't be shy about asking people within your network to introduce you to people within their network. So the advice I would give you if you haven't done this, or even if you have to go and refresh it is, you know, whichever way you, you like to consume data. So whether it's an Excel file or, you know, I'm still an old school lawyer. So I use those, you know, yellow legal pads, but just write down, who do you know? And I would, I would encourage you to make a very long list of your network and think of, let's assume you come up with 15 people and hopefully this isn't new to any of you. Um, so you have those 15 people and you should prioritize them, not necessarily based on the solution that we could offer them, but on the level of response you would have if you reached out to them. So I would say, take that first tier of five and say, these are the people that if I call or email, I will get a response nearly immediately or within a day or two. And then the next tier is they're going to respond, but it may take them a week or two. And the third tier is I'm not 100% sure they'll respond. They probably will, but it may take some additional coaxing from you to get them to, to, be, uh, to, to engage with you. And then once you have that list, you know, go with your go with your PM, go with an MD that you trust or somebody else within your network. Come to me, go to Sergio and say, here's who I know. This is so-and-so that she or he works at this company. Here's their position. Here's their portfolio. Of course, you got to do some, some research to understand what it is that this person is focused on and then connect that to what A&M could potentially offer. So first, come up with your list, prioritize the list, understand what are the nature of the dynamics of the relationship, think about what they do, connect it to an AM service offering, and then I would encourage even the most senior people that when you go and meet with them, don't go by yourself. You should bring somebody along with you. That serves a lot of different purposes but it's obviously easier to listen to a conversation where there are different people participating. You may hear different things and be able to react differently, but one of the, the most valuable pieces of going with bringing somebody along with you is it shows that you understand our business, that it shows that you're potentially looking to feed or provide work for someone else. You can get paid by, by doing that, but it also allows you connecting this to something that I opened with to be able to build more credibility faster, because ideally that person that you bring with you is going to be able to tell stories. So we have to be storytellers as consultants, but more specifically at AM, being able to say, oh, we face something similar at a client that maybe you can or cannot disclose. And what was your path to navigating the current target? How can you bring your current target to what you did with your previous client? 
So those are the things that, that, that I think about. Nice. And you mentioned that there's three level of connections. Maybe the third one, which is someone that you're not, not very close to. How do you bring them to like a second level yeah. or a first level? It, it's, you're going to hear a theme. Is, it's a lot of hard work. So again, you know, I have some big things that I'm doing right now. I have some big pursuits, but every day I wake up and I'm thinking about what am I going to do today that's productive? How am I going to expand either my current client or how do I bring in new clients? So having the mentality that we have to help grow this business is going to be important. So if you, if you identify that lower tier and you see the potential because you know where they work and you know the things that we do as AM, you know what big AM could bring to the table. And if if there's if we have some solutions that would be helpful, then you have to figure out A, go to Salesforce. Is there somebody else, somebody else at AM that is either delivering work or has delivered work at this client? Um, is there someone else within your network that has a relationship with them? Uh, so you can leverage those if you identify them. And if not, you got to create the conditions for you to architect a meeting. Uh, it could be a cold call. It could be follow-up emails. Are they part of an industry association? Um, you just got to be thoughtful about how do you engage? Ultimately, though, you have to make the best use of your time. So if you, if I would always focus on the upper tier and see how far you can take those. If you hand those off to somebody else, then I would go to the next level. So I would assume that if you're at the lower tier is because you've already made progress on the upper tier. It's hard to be, uh, to be able to engage with your entire network. But if you do the research and you understand that I'm purposely being repetitive and you can say to somebody else, hey, I'm connected to this person you're also connected. How do we join forces to be able to be more present in that particular business or that particular with that particular person? Excellent. And if there's someone on this first or second tier that maybe doesn't answer your first call, will, will that uh, you be unmotivated or will you just? Yeah, I, I'm. Uh, I don't get unmotivated very easily, mm -hmm. so it's just a matter of of being patient being thoughtful in, in how you engage with them. Like you don't want to stalk anybody, of course. And there are plenty of us that actually do that with clients, but that's probably not, that's not the approach that I like to take. You just got to be again, thoughtful about, okay, I've tried these things and they haven't worked. So what else can we do? Um, it's just staying at it and, and taking, you know, going to your PM, going to your MD, talking to people that you trust and saying, hey, I've been at this relationship for a while. It's not quite working. Can we talk about this? Can you help me think about a different type of approach than the one that I'm taking? Just being very humble in how you approach that. Makes sense. Yeah, any other suggestions that you have for like, people starting at the firm? Or those are the main ones, I think. Yeah, no, look, the, the, those are the main things. First and foremost, you know, I think, again, these are some very basic things, but are things that I personally think about every day. I don't take for granted that I've had, you know, that I've started out really strong, you know, at a and in the last three and a half years. I want to prove myself on a daily basis. I, you know, meet with my leadership all the time. In fact, I have a, a a meeting with Tom Elsenbrook this afternoon. I check in with him all the time. I invite him to support me on some of my pursuits. 
I do a, a lot of coaching. So I think that you, you have to, in, in typical AM fashion, take ownership and control of your own career. How do you leverage your internal network? How do you become the best at the thing that you do? And you know, where are your passions? If you're if you want to be the person who's heads down doing great delivery work, there's a path for you here. If you want to balance that with business development because you have the ambition to become an MD if you're not an MD, then yeah, focus your time there. Um, there's a lot of opportunities for you to bring yourself and deliver the best of you to the firm. But I think that all of us, because there aren't so many of us, at least in the US, it's always important to represent our community, our culture in the best way. And the best way to do that is by delivering excellent work and and behaving in a way that's consistent with the values of the firm. Yeah, thanks. Great advice. And I, for one, always learn a lot from, from these conversations. And transitioning into a bit of a different topic, you're talking about the heritage. Like, what does your Hispanic heritage means to you? That, that's a pretty uh, loaded question, but I'll, I'll try to break it down in, in a simple way. Look, I'm, I'm very proud of, of my background. I'm proud of being bilingual, even at a time in our country where there's some, there's always that increasing um, toxicity around people who may be quote unquote different, but that's something that, that I embrace. I think it's a very positive tool to be able to use with clients. You know, I have some pursuits right now in, in Puerto Rico and, you know, I brought some colleagues as the Puerto Ricans say from the mainland who don't speak Spanish, they can't engage, they can't build relationships, difficult for them. So I wanna take advantage of those. And, you know, as I mentioned, I'm at a different stage in my life with two little boys where I wanna make sure that they feel very comfortable in their own skin and in being bilingual. And in fact, I want them to become multilingual, not just bilingual. So that to me is, is always uh, top, top of mind. And I think that all of us, irrespective of whether you grew up, you know, in a humble way or you grew up in a more affluent way, that um, we have, there is a certain work ethic that is tied to people that look like us and come from our culture. And I think that that's something to be very proud of, uh, being hardworking, being focused, being family oriented. So those are things that are top of mind for me and guide how I engage with, with my colleagues on a daily basis. Yeah, so from what I hear, having a Hispanic heritage is something that not only you're proud of, but also helps you when delivering work to clients. Is that something that has always been like that or grow, growing up? You know, I, I don't know if it was always like that. It was something that was always important to me at whatever phase or stage of, of my, my life I was in. But as I became a professional and I've worked, as you heard, in a lot of different places, I found that, you know, not hiding it, but actually bringing it to the forefront was something that people uh, appreciated if you were authentic as to how you delivered what it means to you to be, you know, part of our culture. So, and, and, and to be very clear, you know, I'm very proud of my heritage, but I feel very, very American because I grew up and I was raised here. So it's, again, that coexisting simultaneously and hopefully uh, with some um, fluidity 
in two cultures at once. And we have a lot of ability to navigate those in and out. And, and it helps, you know, those of you that have had the opportunity to work overseas, you know, that comes in handy because you know that, you know, when you go somewhere else, there's certain norms that you have to observe because we've lived it most of our lives. So I, I, I think that it can be a very positive tool if you choose to embrace it. And if you don't, that's fine, but it's always worked in a positive way for me. Yeah, and we had a call with Luis de Lucio a few months ago, and he was saying something similar that as being a Hispanic in the US, we have an opportunity to engage with executives from different companies that are also Hispanic in a way that maybe other people wouldn't be able to. Yeah, look, I can tell you that um, one of the things that has been on my mind for a while and I haven't been able to, to, to invest the time to do it more forcefully is how do we, how do we take this incredible group of, of men and women that we work with and how do we encourage you to be more active in different ways in the marketplace? And one of those ways is, you know, I serve on a board uh, called Children at Risk here in Houston. And it's, it's Texas-based and, and growing, but I sit on the board with, you know, 33 other professionals from big firms, from government. And, you know, I get to discuss, not every time, but often, who, I, what, who we are as AM, the role that I play. I get to, I actually sold some work uh, to the organization to do some, some strategy work. But I think that how do we, how do we leverage other channels that gives us a path into, into, into the market? I bring that up because one of our, I don't know if you've had a chance to meet him, but one of our, one of the MDs at AM is a gentleman by the name of David Jabden. And David is, you know, a true, true rainmaker. He's a guy that's referring work uh, in, in AM to the tune of 90 plus million every year. He works heavily in, uh, with the guys in Pepe, with private equity. He works within CPI and he works within, within government. And one of, the, one of the things that he does is that he's very active in a lot of boards as well. But he says, you know, boards are looking for people that look like us to serve. And they can't find professionals that are interested uh, in serving on boards. So I would encourage you to think about, you know, is there something that you're either passionate about or be very intentional and say, this is this would be a group that would be great for me as I think about my career at AM, for me to be affiliated with it and go and get on a board. Or if you don't have a path onto a board, go have a conversation with your PM or your MD and say, hey, I'm interested in doing this. Is there someone you can point me to that can help me get on a, a few boards and reach out to me if you'd like to. But I think that having another access to the market through different channels, and in this case, through boards, I think that it would be quite quite helpful. Excellent. And what's your advice for people that are not in a board to be able to join a board eventually? I know there's some work in Sure. It, it, it's, it's what I just said. It's, it's two things uh, at the most basic level. One is, what is it that you're very passionate about? So this board that I serve on called Children at Risk, has two missions to be an advocate for public education throughout Texas. But there's a second dynamic or element to, 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 the, uh, to the work that this not-for-profit does, which is to support countering the trafficking of women and children. And as a former prosecutor, and when I the work that I did as a diplomat, 
um, was often focused on the impacts of, of criminal enterprise on women and children in terms of trafficking. So something that I thought that I could be, bring a differentiated experience. So I've been on the board for three years and we've done some, some really fantastic things advocating at, at the Texas legislature. I've connected them with some senior officials in Mexico. We're doing some things with uh, the State Department. So, um, so passion is one thing. And again, the other, there's nothing wrong with being very intentional of where you want to spend your time. So um, if, if you can think of a particular board that you believe would be helpful to have AM sit on that board or it would help you in your own career and your own professional development, then you got to identify what those things are. And if you can't figure out a path, again, go back to those people that, that you trust to your advisors and say, hey, I'm interested in and these types of organizations, how do I, how does one get a seat on one of these? And it's different for each one, but you have to identify uh, what it is that you care about or what it is that you can be intentional about in your, in your personal career, and then figure out what is the path through hard work, through research, through talking to people, how do I go and serve on some of these organizations? Sense. And so I, I know how involved you are with your family and kids and you were talking about the Hispanic heritage yeah. and how we're more family oriented in general. Um, so you're out there selling work, being in a board, being active with your kids. How do you manage all the different priorities? Probably poorly, <laughs> but I would say that, you know, uh, because I started my family a little bit later uh, in life, so a little, being a little bit older, um, I, I made some choices about you know, it's important to me to be active in my kids' lives. So I make sure that, you know, they go to school, they start school at eight o'clock. So I'm up every morning early, making sure that I'm helping at home, getting them ready for school and breakfast. And, you know, I sometimes drive them to school, but I always wanna make sure that I can be home for dinner and that I can spend some time with them, you know, bedtime activities, those types of things. But of course the consequences that, you know, I am, dressed and ready to go every day by 7.15. And once they're off to school, I come to the office. I'm usually at the office before 8.15 every day. And it, on the days that I cannot make it home for dinner, on time for dinner, but maybe before bedtime, I'm straight at work, then I go home, I do the stuff with my family, and then I'm back on, online, which means that I'm working a lot of hours. So I'm, I'm typically up 11 midnight, and then I'm up again very early in the morning. So I got to make the commitment if I want to have that relationship with my kids. And since that's important to me, it's just, you know, there isn't a lot of sleep. So, yeah. And are you concerned about like burnout or I guess you also take time for vacation that, that helps? Uh, as I mentioned at the beginning, uh, I'm going to uh, Cancun tomorrow uh, for spring break. My kids have spring break next week. So you got to build in that time to to be able to unplug from work. One is never fully unplugged from work. Like I'm bringing my laptop because I have some big deals that, I, that I'm submitting on next week. But, um, but I'm gonna go and, and, and have that time. And then I'm a gym guy. And the last couple of weeks has been a little hard to find time to get to the gym. But uh, that's something that is usually part of my, of my daily routine or weekly routine at least. So it's constantly looking for ways to look at how you're spending your own time to be able to be with family and to do things that are not work-related 
I think is important and it's, it's imperfect, but I spend a lot of time trying to figure out how to do that better. Wonderful. So those are all the questions that I had for you. Oh. Sure, maybe we can open the floor to anyone on the, in the audience who has questions. Please ask away. Hey, I'll ask one. Thanks so much for doing this, Michael. We really appreciate it. You, we've added you to a long list of uh, cafecito guests that have been fantastic and have provided a lot of insight. Unfortunately, Patricio stole the question I was going to ask about family. So, but at least now we know what the answer is going to be because that's uh, something that I think a lot of us struggle with. In, in terms of the opportunities that you've had throughout your life, you know, working um, as an attorney, then in the State Department, then transitioning into consulting, I know there's no easy answer for this, but what are maybe some guiding principles that you've tried to adhere to throughout your career where you say, look, I, I want to stay flexible for opportunities, but I still have some kind of a plan as far as what I want to do and where I want to go, right? Presumably all of us are happy at A&M here, but obviously we want to, we still need to manage the time that we are at A&M. And then if we decide to do something else, that's a decision, you know, for, for down the road. Sure. And, and you're right. It's a, I think it's a it's a really complex question, even though you delivered it in a very simple way. Because to me, at the core of answering it is who each of us is as a human being, right? What, what motivates you? What kind of person you are? So for me, I think about, uh, I'm a really hard worker. I'm not saying that I work smartly, but I work really hard. I invest time in doing research and thinking through things. Um, the reason that I was able to have that flexibility earlier in my career is because I wasn't married and I didn't have children. So it was just, I was just responsible for me. So easy to go and pick up and do some crazy things. And, you know, I, I can tell you stories one day about being in, you know, really crappy cities in the middle of Asia or in the Middle East or, you know, things that we did in Mexico and other parts. But I could do those things because, you know, at the end of the day, something happened, it was happening to me, not to anybody else. So that my, my perspective shifted once I married and then shifted even further once I became a father and wanting to be active you know, with, with, with my children. But at the end of the day, I had this ambition, I'm first generation American, and I had this ambition to become a partner at a major US firm. And I thought I had that with PwC and I was on the path. I was a little impatient and waiting for that ticket number to be called. So I looked for the next opportunity and I was fortunate enough to be able to, to get offered access to a partnership and I went and did it for a number of years. So, you know, whatever your ambition is, I would say, you know, make sure that you have alignment at home if you have your own family, be it you're, you're married or, you know, your parents or whoever is part of your family. Have some clarity as to what it is that you want to achieve and the effort that it's going to take to get there because you got to have that, that alignment, otherwise things are not going to go well. Then once you have the alignment with family and you can define for yourself what it is that you want to get after, then you got to find what is the community, what, is the, what are the resources that I need to be able to get there. Um, so I've always been very focused in thinking about those things. And um, I was, it was a more deliberate choice to come to AM. I really struggled with, with coming here because I was at a great place. I was at Gartner Consulting. I was running a big portfolio. We had incredible success. I was working with really smart people. Um, 
but I had a personal need to relocate from DC closer to family because of the two kids. So we chose Houston. My employer said, ah, you know, our client base is in DC, you're in Houston, that's not quite gonna work. And, you know, they didn't give me what I, what I expected to be the right support. So that not forced me, but it, it encouraged me to have an open perspective on as to the marketplace. So I was recruited by accident to come to AM through a, actually, let me tell you this story quickly. I think we have about two minutes. Um, a, an executive recruiter out of London reached out to me and I was very polite, said, hey, thanks. I said, I think you're looking for the wrong person because he was a recruiter for partners at law firms who want to move to another, to another law firm. And I said, well, I'm a lawyer and I'm still licensed. I'm not a, a law firm. I don't practice law anymore. Thanks, but no thanks. So he reached back. He goes, oh, no, 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 wait. I also place partners at big firms. And I have two in particular. That I think you'd be a good fit based on your profile. Just have a conversation with me. So I had a conversation with him. Uh, he explained the opportunity that he was recruiting for at AM. I said, thanks, but no thanks, because I had this other thing going with, uh, with JP Morgan. So the thing at JP Morgan just took a while. Uh, he reaches out three months later and says, hey, I really think you need to reconsider AM. Why don't you just have one conversation with one of the partners and then you can decide if you want to take it further? And I did. And one conversation literally became 12 interviews with MDs. And uh, and I, I, I was just thrilled with the opportunity. So I almost fell into it after saying no. And I'm so glad that I was open enough and flexible enough to say, sure, I'll go have a conversation. Let me go see what my worth in the marketplace is. But it was difficult to leave a place that I really enjoyed. And if anybody's wondering, I have no intentions of leaving AM um, unless Sergio breaks off and wants to bring me with him. And something that we have also talked about is like um, AM had an opportunity also to relocate to Texas and, and Houston. So in terms of family, that, that also worked out. It worked out really well. What we were looking for, my wife and I, was to be closer to family. So my family's in New York, her family's in Texas, we're sitting in DC. And for a lot of reasons, um, it made more sense to move to Houston. So we came down here, my in-laws are here and big family, easy to access, access them. I have a big family in New York, but they live from Greenwich, Connecticut, all the way to Long Island. So impossible to get anybody to help with kids if we'd made that move. So it just made more sense to move down here. Awesome. Thank you, AG. Anybody else? Or if you have a follow-up? I, I don't, but there's um, there's a question in the chat, uh, and I'll just read it because I think maybe they, they don't want to ask in person unless you do. But um, what I'm seeing here, it says, how has your culture background, culture slash background, influenced your leadership, including how you work with clients? Do you think this allows you a competitive edge in your line of work? It does. What I cannot do is... Um, separate culture from my professional experience when it comes to how I engage with clients. But I'll tell you a very quick story. So I came out of, you know, working in the Department of Defense, the Department of Justice, and the Department of State, uh, spending a lot of time in working with uh, intelligence and security professionals. I'll, I'll leave it at that. And you learn some things by spending time with those people. So how do you assess others? How do you build those connection points? So we were pursuing work with uh, a very senior official in the Mexican federal government, not, not a state government. And I had a team, uh, a blended US and Mexico City team 
who were engaging with them with my coaching and they just weren't making progress with this particular person. So they're like, hey, can you come down? We need some help. We're just, we're just not, we're not getting enough traction. So as I said earlier, I'm a hard worker. So I started doing some research on, on, the, on the prospect or the target. And I searched through tons of photos. I know it's weird, but I was looking at his profile and, and I, I pulled up a bunch of old photos and I found a photo of the guy maybe 20 years prior that as soon as I saw it, it made me think of my father. So I thought, well, if I can see my father in him, what might he see in me? So I, I literally changed my appearance to match his. I know it sounds weird. So I grew a beard because he was, he guys, he had a beard. And I bought plastic glasses that looked like the glasses that he was wearing in the more recent photos. So I orchestrated this meeting with my team where I was purposely late to the meeting, though I wasn't late, I was in the building already. But I wanted to walk in after he was already seated. And I, when I walked into the room, he looked at me and did a double take and literally pulled this, the chair next to him for me to sit next to him. And I knew that I'd built a connection. And sure enough, that changed the dynamics. He was more open and we ended up selling some work. You can't teach that. Uh, well, you can learn it over many years. There's an element of culture because I could speak to him in Spanish. I could relate to him as a lawyer. But there are things also that were part of my professional uh, growth that I was able to bring to that meeting. So I bring, I guess, the, the, to expand on the question, I don't know who asked it. It's about bringing not just the culture piece, but you're more things than just your culture. So, you know, I'm a college athlete, so I connect with clients if they played sports on that level. Um, I connect, obviously, through children, clients that have children. So we talk about kids. So it's, it's finding a point of connectivity that will resonate with, with your target, with your, with, the, you know, with your pursuit. I think that that's important, but it can be also the cultural piece. Thank you for listening. Make sure to subscribe to Cafecito so you never miss a new episode. Also, visit our website at alvarezandmarsal.com to learn more and to connect with us.